Trinkst du aus? Um, we just come to the part of the service now where we come and we worship God around His Word. We come and open up the Bible and let God uh, speak to us uh, so clearly from the Scriptures that we uh, really um, love every part of our service and uh, particularly as we come now to uh, open up the Bible. But before we get to today's talk, I thought what I would do is just let you know where we're going uh, over the next uh, few weeks with our preaching and our evangelism program as well here at Exchange. Uh, a few things happening. Let me get the, the order right here. We have a baptismal service uh, next week and uh, that'll be a great time again, as I said earlier, to, to witness the gospel as people go through the waters of baptism. Also, part of that service, we're going to unveil the last part of our Exchange Church Vision Plan 2025. So we'll combine that together with the baptism service uh, next week. Now, through the month of March, uh, beyond that baptism service, we're going to do a series of what we call Defeater Beliefs. Defeater Beliefs. So those questions will roll out of, if you're in a gospel conversation and someone says, you know, if God's a God of love, why does he create purple, or why does he create a place called hell and send people to hell if God's a God of love? Sometimes people might say that. We call that like a defeater belief. They just sort of throw that out there and that's sort of supposed to stop the conversation. Or, how do you know the Bible's true? It can be like another defeated belief. So we're going to do that through the month of March. We're going to pick about four or five, you might say, um, statements or questions that people may make in evangelism. And we're going to actually unpack that somewhat uh, over the month of March. Uh, then that's going to lead up to Easter. Uh, and on Easter Sunday, we're going to be down at the Queen's Gardens to have an outdoor service down there at the Sound Shell on Easter Sunday. That's the plan. We've put permits in place. We're actually applying for permits now, so hoping that it all comes together. So that's where we're going to be heading to in March. Beyond that, we're going to do a Life Explored course. For any, any people that may have been interested in Christianity over the last two months uh, through some of these talks or people you may have connections with as well, we want to follow that with a Life Explored course after the Queen's Gardens Open Air Service, which is a six-week course on just asking the question about who Jesus is, what Christianity is all about, and what is the gospel. Now that's in April, and then beyond that, is, uh, after the Easter um, service, we're then going to start a sermon series on Colossians. So we're going to look at the book of Colossians, uh, every chapter, every verse, over a number of weeks, we're going to pull that whole book apart and see exactly what Paul wants to tell the people of Colossae, the same thing to us here at Exchange Church 2,000 years later. So that's where we're heading over the next uh, few weeks. I thought I'll just throw that out there and give you a bit of um, pre-warning because you might be already thinking, people, that you could invite along to some of those Defeater Belief services and also to our Christianity Explored, a Life Explored course uh, starting after the Easter service. So that hopefully gives you a bit, of a, a bit of a program and a map of where we're going. But today, please, if you've got your Bibles, go to Matthew 28. <coughs> And we're going to read a passage there and then uh, jump into our talk for today. Very familiar passage, but very, very great and empowering passage for us as well. So Matthew 28, verse 16 through to 20. And uh, starting verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, 
to the end of the age. Uh, Lord, we just uh, are so glad and so grateful that we can come this morning. Lord, we thank you that we are able to hold these Bibles in our hands. We thank you, Lord, that we can open these Bibles up and we can read them. Thank you, Lord, that this Bible reveals to us all about Jesus, your grand salvation story from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. So we pray today, Holy Spirit, as we think about the mission, making disciples. Uh, Lord, I pray now, let this uh, word be breathed into our hearts and let it be brought alive and fill us with conviction, Lord, and fill us with love, compassion, courage and boldness to go out and to make disciples of the friends and the people you've placed into our life. And we ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the, uh, if you just joined us, sorry, for the first time today, uh, over the last few weeks, we've been unpacking our uh, vision plan, Exchange Church Vision Plan 2025, and today's our final talk, final detailed talk as we do that. Uh, we believe this is a very transitional time in the life of Exchange Church. Uh, God's been very good to us, and we've seen lots of gospel growth take place, and we've experienced uh, much of Jesus as he continues to reveal himself deeply to us. Uh, so we decided in the middle of last year, let's, let's put together a, a vision plan here that will help keep guiding us and keep us focused on maintaining good gospel growth uh, leading up to the year 2025. And so over the last few weeks, we've been, we've been putting down what we call key foundations as we explain this plan. Uh, the first week, we saw that the mission of the church is to glorify God in making disciples of Jesus Christ. That is, people who learn about Jesus and that learning about Jesus uh, actually fuels our love and our service and our worship and our devotion of who Jesus is. Making disciples in a living and loving relationship with Jesus Christ. Second week, we opened up the primary provision that God has given to us to make these disciples in a living and loving relationship. And that is the gospel. The gospel. The gospel saves us and the gospel continues to transform us into the image of Christ to know him and to become like him. Third week, last week, we saw that God has given us also a place to grow and to flourish as a disciple. Not to do it alone, but actually to do it in community, in gospel community. That is like a family living in a close, bonded community. The church, who share all of life together. And we unpacked that uh, there last week, looking at gospel community. This week, we want to circle back, though, to, uh, to the mission. To the mission. Looking at it differently than where we saw it a few weeks ago. Uh, the vision is how we are going to get there and what does that look like. But the mission is what we are about. And our mission is to glorify God. And make God look wonderful, amazing, a treasure, generous and altogether supreme in grace, holiness and justice. And we do this by making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the mission uh, to glorify God by making disciples. Firstly, though, what is the mission? If we think of that word, what's the mission? What does the word mission mean? It means to be given a set task to achieve or carry out. Uh, sometimes you'll hear it maybe in army terms, an individual or group are charged with a mission to, get, to go behind enemy lines and to release uh, held prisoners who are held captive. Uh, this man's on a mission. You said there's a set task, there's something to be achieved, something to be done. Uh, our mission, the mission we're going to talk about today, is modelled on the mission that God has set out since the beginning of time. God's been on a mission. Now, when mankind rebelled against God, uh, he put in place a mission to rescue us. 
As I said before, the Bible is one story of this mission, of this rescue, of this story of God's salvation, of rescuing mankind from their rejection and rebellion of God. Uh, The Son of God would come in human form uh, to pay the ransom for our sin so that we could be rescued from sin's curse and sin's penalty. Jesus Christ of Nazareth is God in the flesh and he came to rescue us. So when we read this passage here in Matthew, Matthew 28, it's really, it's at the culmination of his mission. Jesus has just spent the last three years preaching, teaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God uh, here on earth. The King of Kings, God's appointed Messiah, has lived a life lowly in humility during this mission. He had no fixed address and he barely travelled more than 100 kilometres from where he was born. For three years, he's laboured by teaching people the truth about who God is and revealing the kingdom of God. During this, he's also demonstrated the kingdom of God as well by demonstrating God's power, by healing the sick and raising the dead, doing only things that God could do. Jesus taught and he demonstrated uh, the kingdom of God as well. Jesus also raised up a small group of disciples during this time. Spent his time investing into the life of a group of men at this particular stage. He trained up a group group of guys who weren't the elite of society. They weren't the intellectual giants of society. They weren't sort of the most important people of society. Really, they were the unknown. They were the overlooked people. Jesus just chose ordinary people off the street to be his disciples and to give his care to the kingdom for. Now, for all of this, Jesus was rejected. Jesus was ridiculed and ultimately Jesus was murdered on a Roman cross. But the story remarkably doesn't end there. That's not where it ends. Jesus proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was God. And he did this and he showed this was true when he rose from the grave defeating death. Death could not and death would not hold him down because Jesus is alive perfectly satisfied God's justice and his sacrificial death, had no sin of his own to die for, so he rose again in his own power. So Jesus has completed the mission that he set out to do, to rescue and to save mankind. Sin has been paid for, and now the way for humanity to be forgiven and redeemed is opened up. It's now opened up by Jesus so that we can come to God and know his grace, know his forgiveness and know his love and be connected to God again in relationship as we were in the beginning. So that puts the background there and this is where Jesus is right now. He stands on this mountain just outside of Jerusalem. We don't know exactly what the mountain is. With his 11 disciples and he says this, carry on my mission by telling others who I am and what I've done. Go and make disciples. Carry on this mission. Now, the mission is over in a salvation sense. Jesus has done what no one else could do. In that sense, it's over. But the mission isn't over in a telling or proclaiming sense. It's completed by Jesus and all that he's done. Now, it's in a telling sense or a proclaiming sense. We actually tell about Jesus and who he is. The book of Acts follows on from the four accounts of the Gospels. And what the book of Acts are is actually the early church and the apostles carrying out this mission. You read through the book of Acts, it's very exciting. Things are happening. Churches are being planted. People are being saved. It's, it's a snapshot that the Holy Spirit has inspired Luke to write for us 
as an account of the early church actually carrying on the mission of Jesus Christ, of telling and proclaiming the gospel and seeing people made uh, become disciples of him. Now, the call of Jesus back then, 2,000 years ago, hasn't changed for today. It's still the same call. It's still the same mission. The church of Jesus Christ and the gathered disciples of Jesus are still charged with this great commission. We're commissioning together with Jesus to carry out this very same mission of telling and proclaiming the gospel. So Exchange Church in 2020 are on that mission to tell people about Jesus, to demonstrate uh, Jesus out through our lives of living a gospel-focused and gospel-centred life. We are still on mission today. And we know, as we saw some statistics the other day, we have a vast mission field right around us, right where we are here in Shep. 69,000 people live within 30 kilometres or so of Shepparton. And as we said a few weeks ago, there's 67,000 of those people who do not know Jesus as we speak today. We understand that those 67,000 people who are outside of Christ, we know and we understand at this point in time that they are destined to go to hell, to face God's everlasting wrath for their rejection of him. So we want to get out there with this mission still alive in us to tell people about Jesus, to see people rescued by putting their trust and their faith and their hope in who Jesus is and what he has done for them. So that's the mission. It's for us today. It's just the same as what the the apostles and the disciples did in the early church. Now, the mission was hard back then. You've only got to read through the book of Acts and you see they had some pretty difficult times there trying to actually get this message of Christ out. Uh, It cost a lot of sacrifice, a lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of money for these people to actually go out and to do these things. Gospel work isn't easy. It is difficult. Uh, People aren't spiritually alive. They're actually dead in their sins that we saw a couple of weeks ago as well. So it's a hard thing we've got to do. And along with that, that it's hard... We've got to think about our own Western culture, where we live here in uh, Shepparton, in Victoria, Australia, a Western culture that is moving further and further away from Christian foundations. It's actually helpful if we understand our culture a bit, if we want to win our culture. So I'm going to speak a little bit about culture for the next few minutes, so don't zone out. It's really important. Just listen carefully and you'll pick up some good stuff here. In the 1600s through the 1980s, so we're going back quite a few years in time, uh, culture has been labelled the modern culture. We come out of the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages of the sort of 1000 AD to 1500 AD, which is, if you've done history, it's called the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages. And around the 1600s, we actually come into what we call modernity or the modern era of humanity. A progression of modern living was now beginning to take place at this particular time and uh, kept developing rapidly from there. In the middle of the 1800s, in the middle of the 1800s, we had what we called the Enlightenment period. That period was known mainly for Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution. Now, what took place at that particular time, science became really, really prominent in the world. It was a bit like science has all the answers in this Enlightenment period. And it sort of happened around the time of uh, Charles Darwin and his uh, theory of evolution. Two factors, though, were really strong through this period, 1600s through to the 1980s, which is only just a few years ago. And these two factors were this. 
One was a sense of community was very strong in Western culture at that time. And the other also was this. They, they were holding on to Christian values as a culture in this modern period, 1600s through the 1980s. What's good for the community will be good for me, and I'll do this along with my Christian values or Christian morals or Christian principles. Sort of covered this period of about 400 plus years. This period of modernity uh, travelled right up to the 1980s where, where there was a change in culture for where we live. Now, things like the 1960s and the 1970s with the sex, sexual revolution and the drug uh, revolution as well actually helped sort of contribute to this change of culture in this time period. Culture actually moved from being modern from the 1600s through the 1980s to postmodern. We've gone past the modern era and they call us now a postmodern culture. And in this postmodern culture of today, what we celebrate is more the individual me and less the community in our postmodern culture. And the cry is this, you go and do what's best for you because life's all about your own personal happiness as an individual and not so much about what is good for the community. So it's more about the individual and less about the corporate community of people in this postmodern era that come about in the 1980s, which is my era of change. It's about personal happiness. And factors that stand out for this post-modern culture that we live in today are things like this. We don't need Christianity and we don't need their rules to tell us how to live. It's all about my personal happiness. I'll go and do whatever I want to do and I don't need any Christian morals or Christian principles or Christian rules to tell me what to do. It's my life. I'll do as I please. Now, our postmodern culture has left behind then Christianity to the point where we call ourselves today not only postmodern, but post-Christian. We've actually left all that back in the past as a generalisation for the culture where we live. People today have less and less Christian knowledge or foundations in their lives. Uh, Laurel was doing some uh, scripture in school a few years ago at a primary school. And uh, she held up a Bible and sort of asked the kids in front of her, uh, who's ever seen a Bible before and anybody know anything of the Bible? And I think only three kids out of ten answered, yeah, I've seen a Bible. The other seven had never, ever seen a Bible before. Just an indication of our postmodern, post-Christian culture that we live in today. Now you're all asking, Todd, what in the heck was all that about? Why did you say all that? I say that because it's really important to know how our community ticks, how they think, how they operate. Because if we're going to reach them with the gospel, it's best we know how they're thinking. It's really important to know what their dreams are, what their desires are, what their hopes are, what their questions are and how they think. You see, if we understand these things about people, we best know how to target them with the gospel. Now, in saying that, I'm not asking all of us to become expert philosophers or sort of cultural gurus. I'm not saying that at all. But if, if at least we understand somewhat how our community or culture is thinking, we can then begin to think how we can really accurately target the gospel to answer their questions and their hopes and their dreams. Because today, the culture is putting up more and more resistance to Christianity. It doesn't want 
um, what Christianity is offering because it actually clashes with their agenda. So we to effectively so we need to effectively know them to reach them with the good news of Christ. That's the culture we're living then in as well. So I ask this question, thinking about mission, thinking about culture, how do we carry out this gospel mission going into a challenging culture? How do we go and make Jesus look great and and as our treasure to the culture around about us that is resisting him in some way? And I think this, this is really important as we think about how we take this mission on board in our own lives and then take it into the culture knowing where the people are at. So there's three things here that I believe we need to put into place to reach our culture here in the Golden Valley, Greater Shepparton region where we live. I think these are really important things for us to be able to take this mission on and to intersect with the lives of these people so they can see who Jesus is. Uh, One of the most important things we can do in reaching our culture is this, is to live authentic Christian lives. To live authentic Christian lives. In other words, our life matches up with what we say or what we believe. Here's what uh, Peter says in 1 Peter Peter 3, 1 and 2. He says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, and when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, we're not talking about marriages here in this passage. We're just talking about a principle here. But here's the picture. A wife is married to an unbelieving husband. This unbelieving husband knows Jesus through his wife. No doubt she's probably told him that she's been going to a group and whatnot. But at the same time, this unbelieving husband, he's resistant to the gospel. Paul's saying here, uh, Peter's saying here, he's an unbelieving husband. He's resistant to the gospel and uh, he doesn't want Jesus. You could say it's like a picture of our culture to some extent. Peter says here, as his instructions to these people, Peter says, let your conduct, let your life shine through with the gospel. What's he say? Your respectful and pure conduct. Let that shine through so they might be one without a word. So the gospel can actually uh, come into their lives by seeing a visible representation of us uh, living out the life of Jesus through our conduct, through our life and through our actions. That's the principle there. Authentic, gospel-focused lives make Jesus look very powerful and attractive. They really do. It's a bit like actions speak louder than words. Words are cheaper, there's no actions to follow. Authentic, gospel-focused lives make Jesus look very powerful and very attractive. If we say we're going to be a loving, caring community, Christians then we must authentically demonstrate that. We must show people genuine love, genuine care. Be willing to invest ourselves in the lives of other people in a genuine way. We must be willing to put ourselves out for other people to show them this love and this care in a genuine sense. And that'll be costly. It'll cost us time as the first thing as we invest our lives into other people. This makes us other people focused. Yes, it is all about Jesus, but then I'm thinking, how can I reach other people before I start to think about myself? And that sort of flies in the face of culture because culture says life's all about me. But the gospel transforms us and says, no, it's about Jesus, it's about other people, and then it's about me. This is a great way 
a really powerful way for us to demonstrate Jesus and to demonstrate the gospel into a resistant culture. They see authentic lives. They see lives that are lived out with a gospel focus and a gospel centrality. It actually makes Jesus look powerful and it makes Jesus look attractive as we have these authentic lives. It'll, it'll bring down cultural barriers, I believe. They'll, they'll say things like, you Christians really live out what you believe. You're not just all talk. You actually have actions that back up what you believe. And that'll help to bring down barriers. Second thing we need to carry out with gospel mission here is become more hospitable. It's become more hospitable. Practice hospitality. We need to be more relational with outsiders or unbelievers. Look again what Peter says here, 1 Peter 4, 9. He says here, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. To reach the community where we live, we need to be connecting with unbelievers. It's not going to happen if we stay within the four walls of the church, of a building, as a gathered group, a group on a Sunday morning. We need to be building connections outside with unbelievers, with outsiders, people who are yet to be Christians, yet to be followers of Jesus. We all have to find that spot in our world where we are connecting with people who are not yet followers of Jesus. Now, I know for Laurel and myself, we do a lot of that uh, through our kids' sporting teams. We just have a ready-made place where there's a whole bunch of parents sitting on the sidelines either watching a game of netball or basketball or football, and that's our spot. We're also connected to a local tennis club. We play social tennis midweek as well. We're putting ourselves right in the space of unbelievers and trying to intentionally build connections with them, looking to share Jesus with them. We need to find that spot. You need to ask yourself, where's your spot? Where are you actually putting yourself in the place of being with unbelievers, outsiders, with the intent at some point down the track to build that connection with and then share Jesus with them? You need to ask yourself that. Where's my spot? Where am I meeting with those people? How am I building a connection and a relationship with outsiders? And when you do that, when you find that spot and those connection points, we practice hospitality. We be hospitable. We have people around for a meal to our homes. Uh, You might bring them to your house for coffee. You might actually go out and do hospitality in a different way at a cafe or a coffee uh, shop and shop or down to the lake for a meal. It's a whole range of places where you can actually build this hospitality. Now, you you might say, well, why is this important in carrying out the mission or carrying out the gospel uh, mission we've got here? Because hospitality is really an effective tool to create a space for bringing Jesus into the conversation. Hospitality is a great place for that. When you gather around food or over a coffee or something like that, it actually provides like a a disarming atmosphere. It's like we're sitting on the level. We're just enjoying company over some food. And remarkably, in our humanness, it creates a place where we actually can begin to have those conversations that you can't have at the workplace, or you can't have at the tennis club or the netball court or wherever. Actually, hospitality is really important to create that space where we can actually relate to each other and just talk about life and actually steer those conversations intentionally towards Jesus Christ. Hospitality is a really important thing 
in carrying out the mission. It's not the mission as such, but it's actually creating a space for the mission to be carried out in. Third thing that we need to do to reach our culture as we think about um, what we have. Authentic. Forgot it already. Hospitality. A third thing is informed. Uh, we, need to, 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 we need to reach our culture. We need to be informed about our own faith and the lives of others. Again, let's look at uh, 1 Peter, where he says this in 1 Peter 3.15. Uh, but in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence. Note that word there, make a defence. To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We need to be informed. Peter says there in that passage to be prepared to give a defence for what we believe, to give an explanation of what we believe and why we believe it. We are to know our faith. Why do we believe what we believe? Are we able to explain what we believe? If someone asks us, Todd, why do you go to church every Sunday? Why do you come to a prayer meeting at five o'clock? Why do you do those things? Would you have the answers for that if someone asked you a similar question? Would you be able to communicate your faith, what you believe? Peter's saying there, be able to give a defence, be able to give an explanation of what you believe in. Now here at EC, we want to help you do that. We ran a course last year at our Bible study groups actually talking about how to relationally share Jesus. What to say and how to try and help a conversation flow in that way. Now, that might sound a bit mechanical to you guys, but really we are working with our humanness the way God's created us. And we need help to think about how do I construct a conversation? How do I lead that to actually be able to talk about Jesus? So here at Exchange, we want to do that. Now, the whole idea of this knowing our faith is we want to be able to explain that to them, but also we want to know about them as we talked a bit about culture there before because we want to know what their hopes and their dreams are. Because ultimately their hopes and dreams, because they're not founded in Christ, they will crash and burn for the people who are outside of Jesus. They'll be hoping in all the wrong things, looking for these things to save them in life, and these things will collapse. But if we know what they're hoping in and what they're dreaming for, we can then really effectively target the gospel to help them see this is what you really are looking for. This is why you've been created as a human being. It could be something like this. You may have an unbelieving friend who may share with you how her marriage is all falling apart. It's going horribly. The guy I'm married to is just not meeting my needs or desires. And I feel like my whole thing's going up in smoke. All of my hopes, all of my dreams of this happy marriage are just going up and smoke before my eyes. Now, if you begin to be informed by somebody on what they're hoping and dreaming in, you can actually come back and say, you know what? I need to tell you, you're placing your hopes and your dreams in the wrong place. Marriage was never designed to be a place to save me from a, um, a dissatisfying life or an unfulfilled life. A husband has never been given to me to save me from this you know, life of brokenness. You know what? We're broken because we've actually turned our backs upon God. And only Jesus can save us. Not a husband that I'm placing these hopes and dreams in. That's a picture that if we begin to inform ourselves of what people are building their lives on, we can actually see how the gospel can actually target that and become really real and effective in their lives and point to who Jesus is and what he's done. 
Now, having said all that, we may get into the gospel conversation where we're going to talk about Jesus and we get to the point of telling our friend, here it is, and what happens? Our mouth goes dry. We begin to tighten up a little bit. We begin to sweat a little bit because we're feeling a bit nervous. We're about to bring this thing called Jesus into the conversation. It gets really awkward, doesn't it? We feel uncomfortable. We're having this sort of rational conversation about life and its challenge. Then we're going to say something like, look, Jesus came to die for your sins, to take your punishment that you deserve upon himself. And he did that on a cross 2,000 years ago. And you sort of think this is like putting a... A square peg into a round hole. This just feels like a real, like a real crunching gear change in a conversation. And what you're telling me, a guy who lived two thousand years ago, he's my saviour, and I'm going to put my trust in him. It just feels like an awkward fit when that happens. And it's amazing how fearful and awkward and even embarrassed we can get when that happens. When we get an opportunity to carry out this mission. Now we recognise that here at Exchange because we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same picture when that happens in this life. And we also understand there's a real enemy called Satan out there who just loves to fill us with fear as we're about to get to the point of saying that Jesus is what you need to hear about. We get that. We know that. And we also know that the task of evangelism seems so overwhelming at times. I'm the only Christian living on my street and I've got 20 other houses and not one person is a Christian. And there's 67,000 people around us here that don't know. It just seems overwhelming. Where do I start? How will we ever make any impact into this area or community where we live? That's all true. And I think we can all relate to that as we think about those things. But here's the glorious thing about God, the glorious thing about Jesus Christ and the glorious thing about the Holy Spirit. We are not left powerless for this mission. We are not left powerless for this mission. One of our core values here at Exchange is prayer. It's prayer. It's also one of our core values in our vision plan. If you want to get a copy of that, there's still some out there, I think. Uh, is that is prayer. God has given us a massively powerful tool in prayer. Uh, have a look in James 5.16. Um, Jerry will throw up in the overhead there for us. It says there that the prayers of a righteous man have great power. The prayers of a righteous man have great power. What's praying? Praying is admitting I'm weak. Praying is admitting I can't do this on my own. Praying is admitting I need your power, God, to be able to do this. And all of that is true. All of that is true. I am all of those things. I am weak. I can't do it on my own. And I need God's power to carry this out. God chooses to use our prayers uh, before him as a way of communicating his grace, his strength, his power into our lives. Have a look at this passage with me in in 1 Corinthians where Paul says this. Now just look carefully what Paul's saying here. You also must help us by what? Prayer. You must also help us by prayer. So that many people will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing, strengthening grace, granted us through what? Through prayer. Through the prayers of many. We are helped by prayer. There's the blessing of strength granted through prayer. That's God's way of displaying his glory uh, into us through our prayers. Amazing. Through prayer, God communicates his strength into our lives. 
so we pray. We pray before we actually go out for gospel encounters or with our unbelievers. If you know you're, today's the day you are going to have that conversation uh, with your friend, pray. Actually, I'd say pray every time before you meet up with your friends. Just pray God will lead you through this conversation and be alert for an opportunity where I actually can bring Jesus into this conversation. You are ask, you're asking for God's power, and I tell you what, he will give you the power to do it. It's as simple as praying. You don't need to go to Bible college to learn to pray. God, please help me today. As I meet with this person, please give me wisdom. Please give me strength. Please give me alert. Please help me to listen. And please help me to show them who you are. Give me that courage now, I pray. Give me that boldness now, I pray. In Jesus' name. Simple as that. From an authentic heart and a real heart, God will honour that prayer and he will give you what you need for that opportunity. So we're praying. Holy Spirit, open up their eyes. So when we talk about the cross, that they will see it. We pray, we pray, we pray. And God gives us power through that. Now that's not all that God has given us for power. God's a very generous and gracious God here. This is what the gospel is about. Let's come back to our original passage we looked at. Let's look at what Jesus says here in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what does Jesus have there? Jesus has all authority. He has all power. All authority has been given to me, as as in Jesus. Where does he hold this power and authority? Is it only the mountain of Jerusalem where he's talking to these 11 disciples? Is it only at Israel, in the nation around about him? Where does Jesus hold this power and authority? He holds it everywhere. Everywhere. It's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? There's not one square millimetre in this universe that Jesus can't say, not mine. Every square millimetre in this universe, Jesus says, mine. All power, all authority. Follow that on though to verse 20 and see what he says there. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What's Jesus saying there? Where is Jesus in this verse? Jesus is with me. It says it. I'll always be with you. With me and with you. No matter where I am or where you are, Jesus is with me. He'll always be with me. Think about this for a moment as we try and pull these two together. If you had to serve a repossession notice on the Bandidos Motorcycle Club down in Melbourne... How would you feel if you had to go all on your own? Let me answer for you. Probably terrified. Who wants to go in front of those guys and know what they're up to? You would feel terrified. But what about, what about if you still had to serve the repossession notice on the Bandito's Motorcycle Club, but you went there with the full power of the riot police escorting you? How would you feel then? Oh, I feel a little bit better. I still probably want to do it, but I'll probably feel a little bit better. You would, wouldn't you? What's the difference? You've got a power with you. As you go there, you don't go alone. So think about this. You're in a gospel opportunity and you can feel fear rising. You can feel your throat tighten up. You can feel the sweat beginning to form on you. How am I going to get this out? I'm scrambling all my words in my head. I can't get the right pattern of words out. Nervousness and awkwardness is sort of rising up quickly. 
What do you do? Then you call to mind that Jesus has all power. He has all authority and he's right there with me in that conversation, in that situation. He's actually working in this conversation with me in a way that I can't see and I don't fully understand. I believe it. That's where he is. He's in this conversation. Now, this has happened with me numbers of times. I've gone there feeling awkward, feeling nervous, feeling whatever, but then I begin to fix my mind on Jesus said he has all power, all authority, everywhere, and he's with me always. So I'm not alone in this conversation. I'm not alone. Jesus is actually working in this conversation with me. And what does that do? It empowers me. Not with a cocky confidence, but with a confidence in who Jesus is and what he's doing, that he's working in this situation with me. And it fills me with faith and it fills me with hope as I go and have that conversation. It may not always work out to be the way I want it to work out, but that's not my issue, the result. The result is up to Jesus. I'm just doing what I'm asked to do, but I'm not doing it alone and I'm not doing it without any power. I'm doing it with Jesus who's right there with me working in this conversation. So this is one of our key things here at Exchange is knowing that we're on this mission together and not alone. We're doing it with Jesus and the power that he brings. And part of our plan also is we want to, uh, we, we are seriously keen to pray for and work hard to see new conversion growth at Exchange. Because we're thinking these 67,000 people, they're not believers. We want to see new conversion. And in Western culture, that's really hard. It's really hard to see new conversions happening in Western culture. So we want to work hard and pray hard that we will see new people come become believers in Jesus for the first time in their life. And we want to do that by uh, see it happening through loving and serving Jesus ourselves. Uh, through having authentic, relational, hospitable lives. Uh, through being informed of our own faith and what our friends believe so we can target the gospel with them. Through continual, steadfast prayer, looking for gospel breakthrough. And then by actively believing as we do this, that Jesus is with me in those conversations. And then when I go on that mission, I want to believe that Jesus is going to save people. He's going to take people from unbelief to belief, from death to life, from darkness to light. Well, I'll say, I believe. I'll tell them that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and say, I believe exactly what you're saying. That's the mission that we want to be on together and that's the mission that we're inviting everybody here at Exchange to be part of as we see fulfilled, not only for 2025, but the rest of our days that Jesus has put us here for. We do it with the power he gives and his presence that goes with us. That for me is glorious. That for me is faithful and that for me is empowering. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise now again that we can gather together and be on this mission together in the power of who Jesus is, in the power of the gospel, knowing, Lord, that you are with us. Lord, I pray, please, please help us. Sometimes the task looks overwhelming and we look so ill-equipped. Help us, Lord, to know our own faith. Help us to be able to clearly explain that. Help us to know the people's lies that we are reaching into, I pray. And Lord, to begin to target the gospel effectively into their lives. 
Help us to pray, Lord. Help us to gather to pray that you would go before us and soften hearts to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. Then help us to continue to pray for courage and boldness to step up and speak up, I pray. Putting aside our own reputations, our own thoughts of nervousness or fear and allowing you, Lord, to work in their lives to reveal Jesus deeply within them and trusting and believing, Lord, just as you said, that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us, though, Lord, as we gather together in that mission to be committed to it and focused upon it and to see it uh, come into fruition, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Simon's now going to come and lead us around the uh, communion table.